Hi, I'm Jason Nichols, and I'm on the left. And I'm Vince Colonnese, and I'm on the right. And, and if, if we, we can't, can't find, find common, common ground, ground in this world, world today, today, then we're all just travelers. Passing each other in an international airport. And this great American experiment will be relegated to the trash bin of history. So let's come together to debate without yelling. And, and let's, let's save, save this, this nation. nation. Coming up, a close look at those truckers in Canada and what they are up to on Vincent Jason Save the Nation. Vincent Jason Save the Nation is brought to you by Gold Co. Hey guys, welcome back to Vincent Jason Save the Nation. We've got a great show for you today. Really interesting things happening up in Ottawa and other parts of Canada. We've got a great guest. Vince, can you let us know who we have with us today? Joining us today is, uh, luckily for us for this issue, a Canadian and even better, a citizen journalist who's been speaking with many of these truckers on the ground in Ottawa about why they are staging this protest up in our northern neighbor's capital. Uh, Rob McLeod joins us from postmodern.ca. Uh, and is based out of Ottawa. Rob, thanks so much for spending some time with us this week. Thanks for having me, guys. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, you just, know, it's, it's yeah, really, go I ahead, just want to say that we were speaking uh, off camera, and he, Rob here, is a legitimate ca- uh, Canadian because I heard him say, hey, a couple times at the end of every <laughs> sentence. So that's so, it. That's the tell. Yeah, he's, he's definitely, I was like, this guy's a real Canadian. <laughs> that giveaway. <laughs> you know, we, we got one. <laughs> Well, um, we want to hear what's going on, eh? Yeah, yeah. What is happening in Canada? <laughs> if you could summarize it for an American audience, because, you know, we've been following it, and it probably depends on what news outlets you consume here in the United States, the way you think about what's happening in Canada right now. But if you could describe what you've seen, what is it? Yeah, totally. And, you know, I, I think that's been one of the biggest challenges is finding a, an appropriate, you know, news outlet that can give you the the, the straight shot of what's been going on. So, um, we've been covering this for the last, I want to say, four to five weeks at this point. Um, and uh, we were downtown uh, a couple of days before the, the truckers arrived in Ottawa um, and, you know, have been down there uh, uh, for the last couple of weeks ever since. Um, and what we saw on the ground was, um, I want to say, a groundswell of optimism and hope. Um, you know, I, I think the group on the ground was, yes, it was the truckers that came in on the convoy, but then you know, part of the picture that you're not seeing is the amount of people who thought that there was there was no hope and they didn't have a voice um, to speak up against some of these mandates and pandemic policies. And this has given them uh, a platform and an opportunity and optimism for once over the last two years. Okay. Before we get to more yeah. sort of the details that are on mm-hmm. the ground as we speak, I'd love to find out like how we got here, which is like, what was the impetus for these truckers and all of these people to arrive in Ottawa? And, and if you could describe sort of Canada's posture towards its people with with regards to COVID. Is it, is it just those COVID policies? Or are there other concerns that these truckers are bringing? I've heard concerns about uh, economics and, and the way the truckers are treated generally in Canada over these past few years. G- give us just a basic sense of the grievances that have led people to Ottawa and other places in Canada. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so I think one um, introductory point that I'll make that is important to recognize is that in Canada, uh, many of the pandemic policies are implemented at the uh, provincial level. So it's not federal jurisdiction in terms of which provinces will have a, a vaccine mandate and that sort of thing. But right. um, you're absolutely right to point to the fact that this is more than just COVID. Um, what we've been hearing is that this is an economic issue. You know, the, the trucking industry in Canada has already um, gone through some, some really difficult times in the pandemic in terms of labor shortages. 
Um, you know, the I think the breaking point for all of this was the federal uh, decision to implement a vaccine mandate at the border, which would prevent it wouldn't prevent Canadian truckers from coming back. But what it would do is force them to go into 14 days of quarantine when they returned on Canadian soil. Um, and I think what you saw in the early days was a lot of kind of media sensationalism around, um, you know, what effect this is going to have on our supply lines and, you know, food prices and grocery stores. Um, but, you know, I, I think that was overblown because, you know, the, the logistics and trucking companies, they, they deal with, um, you know, unforeseen um, circumstances like this all the time. So it's just a matter of, you know, arranging another trucker to pick up a load that gets dropped at, at the border if uh, a Canadian trucker isn't vaccinated. So, you know, the whole vaccine mandate coming down from the federal level at the border itself, yeah, that's one issue. Um, but being on the ground, speaking to people, it's it's more so an economic issue. And what I think it is, is the the chasm between you know, the workers in the knowledge economy and the workers in, you know, the, the manual labor economy, that, that divide is just growing each and every day. And it was, the wedge was, was pandemic policies that got driven between those two groups. I've seen some of the, the counter protesters that have shown up in Ottawa. And uh, what's the demographic there? Uh, are they also working class people? And what is it? Uh, has that protest grown any? Yeah, and, and so last weekend, there was a, a counter-protest uh, demonstration that took place outside of uh, City Hall in Ottawa. Uh, we actually had an opportunity to go down there, speak to people, uh, had a chance to speak with the organizers. Um, and, you know, it, it was a fairly homogeneous group, I'll say. Um, and I, I certainly got the sense that, you know, this was, this was a group of people that, you know, might live in the downtown core work from their apartments on their laptops and they're just pissed that they can't continue their lives as they have been for the last two years. Um, so what I got a sense of is that the counter protest movement was kind of okay with the new normal um, and they're advocating to get the truckers out so they can just get back on with their lives. Meanwhile, on the other side of the aisle, the grievance is that, you know, these policies have upended our lives for the last two years and that's why we're here. We have no further recourse at this point. So is there, you know, I always get concerned about this. And, and in our country, we, uh, we, you know, even I had criticisms of some of the Black Lives Matter protests uh, that I, I agreed with in spirit, but the way it was conducted, particularly blocking uh, areas and roads uh, where emergency vehicles could come through. Is that a concern with some of the truckers blocking uh, roads where emergency vehicles could possibly get through the center of the city of Ottawa? Yeah, I, I think absolutely. And it's a valid concern. And I think what's important as well is to kind of put the, the border protests that we're seeing at the, the U.S.-Canada border crossings aside and kind of speak more generally to the uh, movement that we're seeing in Ottawa. Um, one thing that uh, I'll, I'll say is that, you know, I've never seen this level of organization and logistics from a, a protest demonstration movement like this. Uh, and, you know, even in the, uh, the, the chat groups and on the radio, one of the priorities for these convoys when they were coming into Ottawa is ensuring that the emergency routes were kept open. Um, they wanted to see where all the key hospitals were in the city, and they, they made active efforts to make sure that there was no congestion there and that, you know, those routes remained open throughout the, the protest movement. Uh, there's, uh, I, what we're seeing down here uh, is there's an effort to cast the truckers uh, as being um, not just a nuisance, but as a real threat to public safety. 
Uh, and, you know, you had Justin Trudeau at one point coming out uh, and suggesting that these were racists that were in the streets aligned against him. Um, and there are calls to clear them out. The, we've seen video of the police actually seizing fuel. It's, it's obviously cold here in the United States, much colder north of us uh, in Ottawa during the winter. The idea clearly being to freeze these truckers out. You know, how are the truckers themselves being um, presented to the Canadian public by the official institutions in Canada? Yeah, I think you could even take a step further back and, you know, start from, uh, you know, a point mid last year where, where we started to hear the rhetoric coming down from the top, and it started with the unvaccinated population. Um, so there were clips that were circulating around of, of Trudeau on TV, suggesting on a French uh, uh, commentary uh, talk show that, you know, unvaccinated were racist, misogynist, uh, science denying uh, people and should we be forced to sit next with, next to them? And so I think that kind of set the tone for what we're seeing right now. Um, and I think, and by the way, I'm sorry, just the, the, hmm. the truckers, they're 90% vaccinated, correct? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I, I think that's part of the reason why they're down here because, you know, we are vaccinated and we've had enough. Um, but further to that point, like the, the rhetoric that we were hearing from the top down, you know, when, when Trudeau was giving his remarks from his cottage, it was, again, you know, these are people that are flying racist symbols. These are people that, uh, you know, are violent, um, you know, and just casting the entire movement, slandering them um, as, as criminals. Uh, and, you know, that was very upsetting to see. And, you know, having been downtown, it's not just your stereotypical, you know, big burly trucker with the trucker hat and the, the, the plaid jacket. Like, these are families. These are families that drove from across the country to come here and have their voices heard because they have no other options left and they're being denied that opportunity at this point. So I, I, I just want to, because, you know, I, I understand some of the concerns and I've heard people talk about the fuel, isn't it, uh, you know, seizing the fuel, isn't it also a, a public safety issue? Because when you have a protest and a bunch of people have large amounts of fuel that that could actually lead to some dangerous things like arson? Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's always a risk, right? And I think that's something that, you know, in acting in civil disobedience, you know, you're, you're going to break some laws. And, you know, there, there's always a risk that, you know, there are, are malevolent groups that may see this as an opportunity to kind of co-opt the movement and, you know, um, you know push for, for violence and stoke the fire. Um, but, you know, largely we, we haven't seen any of that. It's been, uh, like I was telling Vince, it's been like supremely organized. The logistics lines that these, these guys have in place are, you know, unlike anything I've ever seen. And it's, it's been allowing them to maintain the momentum. And well, I'll say as well, just yesterday, uh, on, we were on the highway and there was a whole other convoy coming in down the highway from, uh, from Alberta. So, so you know, this, about, hmm. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, you know, reinforcements are on the way and, and you know, it doesn't look like this will be something that's ending anytime soon. So what about um, the issue? Because I've heard this um, from some of the people who've been talking uh, about the counter protest is about trash, hygiene and noise, you know, for the people who live in that community. I, I understand it's the same thing that people were complaining about, like, like I said, uh, here in the United States with Black Lives Matter. Uh, and some of the other, you know, uh, groups that went even a little farther, like in 
uh, in Portland and in you know the Pacific Northwest. What about that issue? Is that an issue? Is there a lot of noise late at night? Is there a lot of tr you know trash hygiene issues, particularly when you're talking about these families and children being around? Uh, is that going on and is that uh, unsafe? Yeah, so I mean, I, I'll, I'll first say that, you know, this is something that the Ottawa City Council in particular has jumped all over in, in an attempt to, um, again, kind of paint the movement as, as something that's dangerous to uh, public health. And one other thing I'll say, just being down there, I've never seen a, a cleanlier protest, on, honestly. Like there are uh, stations all over the downtown core where there are trash collecting stations. You see people going around shoveling the snow and ice off the sidewalks. Um, I mean, it, it is being painted as, you know, a, 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 a dirty kind of risk to public health. But, mm -hmm. you know, I, I would encourage people in Ottawa to go down there and see it for themselves. Because well, it seems you know, to me, it seems to me the way that the, the media has been covering this, that the, the worst that they can find in terms of criminality is uh, noise complaints, that, that people are honking their horns uh, at odd hours of the night. And of course, that would have the effect of waking people up. But uh, that that seems to be the most intense criminality that I've even read about. Beyond that, yeah. it's been yeah, kind of comical. That's frustrating for people who live there. I'll just say. Like, okay, but I mean, just as yeah, a relative I'd, I'd measure, be upset about that. as a relative measure, if you're reporting on like, hey, what are the what are the problems of this protest? Oh my gosh, like they're honking their horns. Yeah. If that's the best, if that's the best that their critics can throw at them, then that generally tells you a story, doesn't it? And one of the things I found interesting was that you have leaders there in Ottawa. Who are complaining about the fact that there are bouncy houses there for the children to play on that some somehow people have pulled saunas in uh to spend some time in I, first of all that's an amazing thing to bring a sauna uh and uh, and hot tubs to a uh to a truck protest and that there apparently there have also been pizza ovens on the street people cooking pizzas uh this has been suggested as like some sort of nefarious activity uh, have you seen all of these things and how concerned were you for your safety when you saw the bouncy house? Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen it all. I've, I've seen on every corner there was uh, there was a soup kitchen. Um, you know, there were there was pizza, there was coffee. There was like the homeless people in Ottawa have never had it so good. Um, and I'll even say crime rates in the market in Ottawa, which is not an overly safe place to be in the first place. Like personally, I avoid that place like the plague because, you know, there are shooting stabbings. It's not necessarily the safest place. Crime rates in the core have gone down since the truckers have arrived. Um, and, you know, one, one other thing I'll, I'll say is that on, on one side of the argument, there are people saying that, you know, you're, these, these protesters are breaking bylaws. Meanwhile, you know, municipal local bylaws in Ottawa. Meanwhile, the, the protesters are saying, you know, you've infringed on our charter rights. Yeah. Right. So I, there, there's kind of two different scales of, of argument going on. Rob, can, can you give us more detail on that point? I've been wondering this. You know, in, in the United States, of course, we have an idea of what our relationship to the government is. And it has obviously been tested during the pandemic. But I think most Americans look to the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and kind of an understanding that ultimately the government is supposed to be responsive to our leadership as a, as a democratic republic. How does the average Canadian view their relationship with government? Well, I, I think that there, there's maybe a, a bit of more of a focus on the local level. Um, and I would also say that, you know, the, the charter in Canada is, is a, a quite a young document and was only signed in the 80s. So, um, you know, I, I, I think there is kind of a longstanding tradition of, you know, Americans fighting for their freedom and prioritizing their freedom overall. I, I don't think you see that same 
you know, appreciation for freedom, free expression in Canada. And, you know, we're not protected in the same way that um, uh, Americans are. And I think in response to what we've been seeing in Ottawa, we are going to start seeing some crackdowns, not necessarily in the public square, but in the, in the digital domain. And I think that's something that's coming a lot sooner than many Canadians realize um, and will only be accelerated by, uh, by, by this protest movement. So uh, I want to go back to that thing that you kind of touched on a little bit. Um, I know you said it was a little bit, you, you felt that it was overblown, but the things that I've been reading say that essentially um, the commerce that's happening across the border has been completely stopped. That's $400 million a day uh, for both countries. So it could affect the United States as well as Canada. Um, I'm wondering, like, is that going, when is that going to trickle down to the average Canadian and to, you know, people who want goods and services, which would include a lot of working class Canadians and Americans? Yeah. And, and, you know, like I said, I think you have to treat the, the border uh, demonstrations differently than what's going on in Ottawa. You know, since the, the early days, the border demonstrations haven't necessarily sat well with me just because of the economic damage that they're doing. Um, like you say, and, and you know, the, the crossing near Detroit, that's one of the most important economic um, routes in, in North America. And you want to talk about the impacts that we're seeing um, to everyday Canadians. Well, we've already heard that, you know, GM and Toyota, the auto parts plants that are a, a massive economic driver in uh, southern Ontario, they're already, um, you know, closing down shifts. They're going to, you know, be delayed by a week. They're not getting their parts in. They have to lay people off for the short term. So I think you're already seeing the um, economic consequences of that. And, you know, this the, the border movements is what is going to trigger, I think, a stronger police reaction um, from the federal government in Canada. Why not a, a backing off? Why not um, a concession to the truckers request? So you think it'll be a police response, a forcible response. In fact, we've seen these reports that our federal government, the American federal government, uh, via the Department of Transportation and, and, and Secretary Pete Buttigieg, as well as uh, U.S. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, have been urging Canadian leaders to use their federal powers to shut down these truckers. Why wouldn't the Canadian government instead choose to concede and say, okay, maybe there is a legitimate grievance here. We can settle this by actually coming together. Well, well, frankly, I, I think, you know, the, the Trudeau liberals don't want to be wrong. It, it seems to me like it's an ego thing at this point. You know, they had an opportunity to come out and have dialogue with the truckers in the early days, and that was outright denied. And so I, I can't picture a reality in which they turn around and say, okay, we're ready for dialogue. It, is, it, is, it does seem to me, you know, Jason, uh, of course, was right, talking about the economic impact of uh, shutting down bridge traffic. And, and, it is, and, and I, I'll take it from you that it's worth delineating the movement in Ottawa from the one that we're seeing uh, on the bridges. Um, but I got to imagine that the truckers who are sitting on those bridges shutting down commerce realize that this is a good way to compel a reaction uh, from the ruling class in Canada and, and potentially the United States. I mean, if you put the profit line, profit margins on the line of the elite in both of these countries, but it hurts that the will, you know, you're right about that, but this, this does get their attention. In other words, that when the powerful have their profits threatened, this is one of those, that those truckers are probably thinking, this is how we can get some attention for this. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they will get attention. The only thing is, you know, what will the outcome be? 
And right. I think, unfortunately, that the outcome of this attention and these economic tensions are going to be a strong federal response at the borders. So I'm wondering, you, you make a delineation between what's going on in Ottawa and what's going on on the border. Is the organ are the people who organized both protests <clears throat> are they separate? Are those two separate groups of people? So there is there is one formal organizing body that is essentially overseeing what's going on in Ottawa. And as far as I can tell, it is delineated, like I said, from those movements that have uh, popped up on the borders. From what I could tell, those movements on the borders had popped up organically. You know, whether or not there was coordination behind the scenes um, amongst all of these groups, I, I can't say. Um, but, you know, there, there is one kind of formal organizing body that is sitting with in Ottawa, is holding uh, media briefings, is attempting to liaise with government on behalf of the protesters in Ottawa. Can, can I ask a question also about kind of the, the word liberal? You used liberal before to say that the liberals were um, unlikely to back down and that they would have met before, you know, Justin Trudeau is a liberal. In the traditional sense, we think of liberals as being aligned with the workers, but what we have here is the liberal component of the government is opposed to the workers and their demands. Can you explain what's going on with, with that calculus? Yeah, and I would say that, you know, at the inception of the, the Trudeau government, I think there was a, a, a chasm again between, you know, your traditional blue liberals that we would see in Canada and this new style liberal that you know is characterized by by the the Trudeau cabinet, and you know I, I don't think the Trudeau cabinet could even see eye to eye with the prior administ uh, liberal administration. They've gone that far, uh, that much further left in their politics. And one other thing I'll say as well is you know there is uh, an NDP party in Canada that is supposed to advocate on behalf of workers but what we've seen over the last little while what is NDP well, I'm sorry would you uh, the new democrat new, new democratic party so a, okay. a socialist democratic party okay uh, and and you know th their policies have gone almost even further left so you've seen almost this this political realignment in which conservatives are now stepping up to be the voice of the working class hmm. So it, it, to me, it seems like it depends on, you know, you said aligning or Vince said aligning with the workers. It seems like it depends upon which workers you're talking about, because the people working at the factories, which are working class people, uh, some of the people I'm sure working in the center of the city of Ottawa, who are also probably working class people, I'm assuming, I I'm not sure, but people who work at factories generally aren't, aren't the elite. Um, they're being harmed by these protests, particularly the one on the border. And I think you're right in order to delineate between the two. Um, I think it's, don't you think it's a, a little bit of a broad characterization to say workers versus others? Because, I mean, the government is also thinking about these workers at these factories, no? Absolutely. And I think you're totally right to make that, that statement. And, you know, what this is, in, in my mind, is this is simply the byproduct of, you know, the world economy transitioning through this digital revolution, right? Mm -hmm. You know, people these days now, like you're saying in the downtown core, or, you know, they have the luxury to work from their MacBook, uh, from their cottage, you know, and be just as productive as they would have been in the office. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think it's super important that in this transition, you know, the manual laborers, the people that drive the trucks, the people that work at the factories aren't left out of the discussion, because right. I would say that, you know, liberal policy from the Trudeau government has emphasized a focus on this new digital economy, whereas, you know, the the 
um, kind of manual laborers have been left out of the equation? Um, I would like to talk about the role that the United States of America plays in the discourse in Canada. Um, you've seen, I've seen some suggestion from Canadian officials that the trucker movement in Canada is not completely Canadian, that is not completely organic, that there are American forces that are help compel it, helping to compel it along, suggesting that it's Americans who are interfering in some capacity. Uh, and But meanwhile, like I mentioned earlier, you are seeing the Biden administration uh, suggesting, you know, basically speaking to the Canadian government saying, hey, the federal government needs to act here to shut down uh, these protests. And additionally, uh, we've seen reports that Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan yesterday uh, was telling uh, the, a, border, a border mayor uh, that she's prepared to send heavy equipment to move trucks on the bridge that connects uh, the U.S. and Canada um, that in, in her area. Uh, how is kind of the United States seen as an actor in all of this within Canada? Well, I think there's the the whole issue of, you know, whether funds are coming into the truckers uh, from, from south of the border, um, you know, that being put aside from being on the ground and what I could what I could see, I would say, you know, this this is akin to 2016 in Canada. Like take the Trump meme and put that aside. What we've seen is this push towards, you know, an economic populist movement that is gaining steam in Canada. And I think that has only had the room to grow because of what happened in the States. Um, so I think that is a, a massive driving factor. And in the same way that, you know, the, the, the elite were almost taken off guard and surprised by the uh, results uh, in, in 2016, you know, we're seeing the same thing in, in Canada. You know, the, the liberal establishment, the elite, the political elite, we're not anticipating this in the, the week and, and days leading up to the protests uh, and the convoy arrival, you know, they were downplaying it, you know, saying, you know, we don't even know if this is actually going to happen. We don't know if they'll make it all the way into Ottawa, that sort of thing. So uh, I think you're seeing what, again, is akin to that Trump movement, you know, take Trump, put him aside, but you're seeing that economic populist movement grow. And like right. I said, it's only had room to grow because of what's happened in the States. It's kind of like, in, in some sense, kind of like Brexit as well. I mean, like, like you've got, you know, populist movements across the planet who are producing results that the elite within their own countries either didn't expect, certainly in Brexit's case, they didn't expect it at all. Uh, and, and it happened. Uh, and so you're seeing some of that in Canada. I guess the other part, and, and my apologies, Jason, I'm hogging so much of the conversation no, here. But, um, the, other, the other part that I'm interested in is the media in Canada. Um, there's, it seems that I, how trusting is the average Canadian in the media? Because here in the United States, when we do surveys, there's very little trust in the institutional press, just like most of our institutions, actually. The, the American public is very skeptical of our institutions. And we've seen a lot of people turn to online news outlets to consume news within the United States. What are the trends in Canada? So I would say what you'd see in what you see in Canada is, again, there is a, a I would say a massive divide between people who um, kind of accept and trust the institutional narratives uh, but against those who are now starting to see some of these narratives crumble. Um, in Canada, uh, what you see is a lot of federal subsidies for these media outlets and as a result, you know, biased reporting. Um, I think more and more people in Canada are waking up to that fact and the amount of money that, uh, you know, these, these media outlets are, are being given by the government and how that's actually sustaining them. Um, and, you know, like, like you say, we're seeing this whole movement around the world uh, of citizen journal journalism and, and you know, independent reporting and that sort of thing. Um, but there still remains that divide 
And, you know, whether it's working workers in the digital economy and, and you know, workers in, in the labor, uh, manual labor economy, you're seeing this divide. And I, I, I want to say it runs more so along class lines of people that are accepting of those institutional narratives that get pushed down through media and yeah. others that are seeing them crumble in front of their faces, seeing the economic consequences um, and, you know, looking for other sources of truth. So I'm wondering, you know, first of all, uh, as far as people turning to the internet for, for news and media, unfortunately, they haven't quite found Vincent Jason Save the Nation yet. We encourage them to do so. Yes. But, but I, I will say, um, I'm also wondering, um, what is the, the mainstream media? How do they treat leadership, particularly people like Justin Trudeau? Um, does he get a lot of favorable coverage from the mainstream media or are they critical? We've seen mainstream media on both sides of the aisle uh, be very critical of uh, our current president, President Biden. Um, we've seen even the, some of the left wing, um, you know, more left left leaning, I should say, uh, media outlets here in the United States have been critical of, of President Biden. Um, the right leaning media wasn't critical of President Trump, but, you know, certainly the left wing media was, and it was certainly there was a a partisan divide. I'm wondering with some of the, the media in, in Canada, are they critical of uh, Justin Trudeau's leadership and government leadership, or is it more like some of the other countries where uh, they're state-run media? Well, I would say that there, there is criticism of the Trudeau government and his leadership, um, but I would say it's very superficial and almost faux criticism. I think where, where you really have to focus in on is when the government is in crisis. When the government is in crisis, I think that's when you see the state broadcasters providing, you know, much more favorable coverage in that, you know, they're, they're letting him off the hook and in a sense, giving him a platform to spew more of his divisive commentary and in, in that, you know, he's, he's labeling the protest movement as violent, racist, misogynist, you name it. And then again, it's getting trickled back down to the population through the state broadcasters. So it's not that there is no criticism of the government. It's just that how that criticism is laid upon the government and presented to the populace, I think, is is quite biased. Well, so are there, a- are there Confederate flags and, and other things, other symbols um, that people associate with racism? Does that exist or is or is that all made up? So I can tell you what I've seen with my own eyes it, on the ground in Ottawa. What I saw is I saw one blue F-150 that was driving circles around downtown with a Confederate flag. They were there the day before the protests arrived. And as I was on the ground, they did that every single day for like the last two weeks. They drove around the downtown core with tinted windows and a Confederate flag. I also saw a gentleman walking uh, in front of Parliament with a Confederate flag he had a balaclava on with sunglasses, so you couldn't make out his face. Um, you know, it, there, there have been discrete instances where people have flown these, these you know, hateful symbols. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what is behind that, I don't know. But, you know, it would be naive of us to think as well that, you know, there aren't, you know, super right-leaning or even left-leaning groups that are looking to co-opt these movements and, you know, putting those kind of hateful symbols out as, as, you know, fuel to the fire. No, I, I would agree. I just want to say uh, before Vince takes over, I, I would agree hundred percent that people come in and, and co-opt movements, bring violence, bring hateful symbols. 
sometimes you see that more than others, and, and it is actually representative of the movement. We've seen that in some of the things that have happened in the United States. Um, but a lot of times there are provocateurs that come in and co-opt the movement, and it certainly adds a huge uh, hypocrisy if you know, you're talking about freedom, and then you, at the same time, you're showing yeah. a Confederate flag. <laughs> that doesn't, yeah, also, that doesn't uh, jive. But also, I'll just say see, really quickly for, uh, for all of our viewers who are primarily far right or right wing people, um, you know, I, I, I think it's interesting, you know, people will say, well, that's an outlier. That's an outlier for this. Um, but not acknowledge that, like I said, with some of the Black Lives Matter protests, that there were provocateurs and people who, who took opportunities to turn what was going on into something else. And, you know, not acknowledging that the vast majority had a, a legitimate concern. And there were a few outliers that came and tried to spoil things. And I, and I wouldn't be surprised. It sounds to me like the freedom uh, truckers movement protest. Um, there's, a, there's a legitimate concern there. And, and you know, we can, we can dialogue just like Vince and I do every week. We can dialogue about how we feel about that and our agreements and disagreements, but we should acknowledge that sometimes there are going to be bad elements that see seize an opportunity, and it seems like the right never acknowledges that with the left. You know, the Boogaloo Boys have actually been arrested several times for causing violence during these Black Lives Matter protests, but they'll never acknowledge that. They'll just show up memes of this and that and the third. Uh, but not acknowledge that there can be people that come in as spoilers. So I, I, I just want to say that I do acknowledge what you're saying. You know, there's, uh, if I could, I'll just jump in and kind of, I'll speak on behalf of the right to the extent that I can, as I often do, um, which is a couple of things. One, of course, it's like if somebody shows up with a Confederate flag uh, to a, uh, a rally that the media doesn't like, is already predisposed not to like in the first place, that person will be used as the feature image of that event in order to uh, disqualify the event in its entirety, uh, which kind of gets to the point I think that you're making, Jason. It's like sometimes bad actors are are misused by um, uh, people who are trying to disqualify the underlying message. That said, uh, if we look at the events of 2020 in particular, you know, there are, I, first of all, I remember plenty of conservatives who were making delineations between peaceful protesters and those people who were seeking to commit acts of violence, even if they disagreed with the underlying basis by which the peaceful protesters were in the streets. Um, and I believe a lot of the, the peaceful protesters in 2020 were misled by the American news media about the extent of the problems between police officers and Black Americans. That said, um, the actual acts of violence that we saw in, in, in terms of the scale was on a different level. We saw nearly $20 billion in insurance claims as it relates to uh, parts of the country that were destroyed. We saw dozens of deaths. Uh, we saw areas, you know, we talk about shutting down commerce and access. You think about Seattle and the, and the CHOP zone, the CHAZ zone, it was being run by a warlord who was handing out guns. I mean, th there, was, there was violence on the streets there. There, it is worthwhile at some point to admit, okay, this has gone way too far. And by the way, Jason, those those same peaceful protesters you're talking about often very much objected to those violent agitators who would come in and uh, and do these destructive acts that didn't help these vulnerable communities and instead made them worse. And so it is worthwhile to acknowledge, I think, kind of the dark forces that arrive at any, and you just made this point basically, uh, the dark forces that arrive at any peaceful protest and subvert it 
Uh, and we need to be cognizant of when that scale actually reaches a level at which we should all be concerned. Yeah, I mean, I mean, of course, you know, I, I think we could go into a, a whole back and forth. We've got Rob here. I don't want to you know, ignore him and ignore what's going on in Canada. We can go no, you're right. back and forth about, you know, of course, January 6th, you had people with uh, Nazi paraphernalia. You had gallows with with with. Uh, and, and I would say that that was literally a part of that at least that part of the protest, not the earlier situation, who knows, but those hundreds and, and maybe thousands of people who showed up at the Capitol, that was, a, that was a major part of the makeup. You had people walking with those Confederate flags and a Confederate flag had never made it into the Capitol before. I think that at the same time, there are bad actors. There are people, we've seen the provocateurs, we've seen the videos. You've seen the people, a lot of them, you know, in terms of the Black Lives Matter protests, they weren't even black. Not saying that you had to be black to be part of Black Lives Matter, but, you know, a lot of those those people who were causing uh, the most damage, you know, a lot of them were clearly uh, anti-government people. Sometimes they were far right, you know, provocateurs. And those show up at all of these protests. So I think Rob's point is correct. I think you and I are essentially saying the same thing. Um, that we need to engage in, you know, for lack of a better term, legitimate political discourse, yeah, and uh, leave out some of some of what else, you know. And some I of think these provocative- just like rec- just the fact that we can recognize that these, you know, these provocateurs, these bad agents, they will be there, and not let that co-opt the the meat of the discussion, because that's what we've seen in Canada. The, the media establishment, the only thing that they have really focused on since the outset is, you know, yeah. there was a Confederate flag, zone in on that, tarnish the whole Well, movement. here, let me ask a question based on that then, Rob. How much are the truckers trying to police that imagery? So, like, are there truckers who are concerned about these types of things because they don't want their movement to be um, undermined by people who come in, you know, blue F-150 driving around with tinted windows and a Confederate flag? And, and, yeah. and can I ask uh, like a follow-up question to, to Vince's question? And, of course and, you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can answer you you can answer Vince's question and you know kind of follow up with this. And that is how many of these truckers, and I understand it's Canada, different demographics than the United States. Uh, how many of these truckers are people of color? Yeah, and and so just Vince to answer your question, um, the utmost priority from these truckers is nonviolence. The entire strategy behind this convoy is to be as peaceful as humanly possible to expose what the regime is doing, right? So I I think from the truckers perspective, their strategy is total nonviolence, peaceful as possible, and, you know, let the regime be exposed for what they do to get us out of here. Um, you, you've also seen, and you know, it doesn't get a lot of media coverage, but you've seen in instances in which um, a Confederate flag would be walked across Parliament, and people are actually going after the guy and saying, hey, you know, that's not good. Get that out of here. We don't want you here. That's not what we're here for, that sort of thing. But that will never get airtime. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then, Jason, to answer your, your question, um, a, a large majority of the truckers actually uh, are, are, are not white and are pe- uh, people of color. A majority? Uh, well, I, I wouldn't necessarily say a majority. I'll, I'll walk that back. But I will say that um, in the, the greater Toronto area in particular, there is a massive contingent of South Asian 
uh, truckers. And, you know, I would say that they make up a significant portion of the total um, trucking population. So I think where you, where you are in Canada, that will differ based on the demographics. But this is certainly not, you know, a, a mostly white trucker movement. This cuts across every race, creed, vaccination status, political stripe. Being in downtown Ottawa, it is a, and Canada is a, a, an incredibly diverse country. It is a a beautiful mosaic of, of Canada. It's a reflection of the Canadian demographic downtown in Ottawa, but you won't see that on the news. How, how does this end, do you think? Well, I've been thinking about that a lot over the last couple of weeks. Um, and I think the answer has become more and more clear to me um, over the last few days. I think seeing the police response uh, to confiscating fuel removing firewood when last week the weather was, you know, minus 30 below. Mm. Um, the, the, I think there, the, there have been some resignations in the police force due to, you know, moral contradictions of why they joined the force and what they're being forced to do right now. But I think the pretext of what's happening at the borders and the economic consequences will set the stage for a, uh, uh, unfortunately, a, a law enforcement crackdown. And I think what you'll start to see in the next few days is mass arrests of, of these truckers. Uh, I think one other thing that we heard in you know, the last couple of days that was quite disturbing um, was talks about involving children's aid uh, because a quarter of these protesters and in, in these trucks apparently have uh, children and families with them. So you're hearing talks about bringing in uh, child protective services at this point um, and, and, you know, I think when you have that potential of government coming in between these protesters and their families and their children, the potential for things to get out of hand just, you know, it, it goes up exponentially. Mm. Mm. Yeah, this, this looks like it's going to be a, you know, uh, I, I was thinking that as well. I, I read that as well, that people were saying that this could be an unsafe environment uh, for children. Um, I also, again, with some of the provocateurs that we were just mentioning, I have concerns about people having big canisters of gasoline and, and firewood. I actually think that that's, that can be concerning. So I understand why police may be like, you know, you can't have that right here. Um, but the, you know, I, I, I don't see this ending well. And I think all the people in the United States who are like, hey, right on, I, I, I get the sentiment. And I think that the government should sit down with representatives of, of that movement. Um, but to me, I think this doesn't end well. Um, and, and I will say, Jason, like, like well. you say, it, it, it's not as simple as just, you know, flip a switch and move the trucks. Like right. these guys parked in front of parliament, they took the, the wheels off of their trucks. They snipped their brake lines. Like they don't plan on moving. So, you know, this is going to take a, a ton of resources from the, the government, from, you know, the municipality, uh, from the police forces. And, you know, I, I, it's, it's not going to be easy to, to clear them out. Okay. So, so the follow on to that is, should, let's say what you've suggested comes to pass that they, they make stage mass arrests. They put children into the custody of child protective services. Will that settle the Canadian public? Will the Canadian public go back about to its business and not cause trouble anymore? Or will this light a match? Well, I, I think, you know, in, in looking back and, and what we've seen in the last couple of weeks, the, the truckers have won. They have triggered a political realignment in Canada in which 
you know, you have conservatives as the, the opposition who two to three weeks ago, you know, they weren't even tabling a discussion to remove vaccine mandates. And now, you know, that's their main talking point. You know, you saw the leader of the uh, federal opposition be kicked out and replaced. That was as a direct result of this convoy. You've seen uh, caucus members of Trudeau's uh, uh, liberal MPs come out and, you know, voice their discontentment with the way that he's managed this and started to separate themselves from the prime minister. Um, so I think the progress that these truckers have made should not be understated. Um, and, you know, I think if we do see these mass arrests, if we do see, you know, children being put into protective services, I think this only stokes the fire more. And I so, think you will see a continued protest like we're seeing, you know, this weekend, we're still seeing convoy and, and truckers making their way into Ottawa. So um, I guess I have two questions, you know, as we're kind of winding down here. Um, I guess my first question is, uh, if you have, um, the government actually does well, so I guess my first question is, how much of the changes, and you're talking about a political realignment, um, how much of these changes and ends to vaccine mandates uh, are driven by the truckers, and how much of it is driven by the COVID numbers, which are changing, and the United States has seen a lot of these vaccine mandates and mask mandates in schools and many other things are starting to go away because we're in a better place, and as a matter of fact, even you know, the right wing, you know, devil that everybody is so upset about, Dr. Fauci said, we're, we're almost out of the pandemic phase. So how much of this is driven by COVID numbers, rather than being driven by protests? So I, I think, you know, they're both converging, uh, Jason, like you have the, 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 the realities around COVID coming to light, I think, and that's making the decision for these provinces and these leaders to start opening up. But then on the other hand, what these truckers in this protest movement is uh, putting forward is the notion that, you know, there is a certain level of individual risk that I need to live my life. You know, I should be free to take risks as I see fit. I will fight for my right to either take the vaccine or not take the vaccine. It doesn't matter to me what you do. And that's the message that we're hearing from truckers. And then coupled with the realities that we're seeing with COVID in that, you know, it looks like things are winding down and this is maybe becoming endemic. Um, I think those are both converging to drive this, you know, this new discussion and, and maybe some of these decisions about opening up. And I guess my, my final question here um, would be, uh, with what we're seeing, and you were saying that people have cut their brake lines, they've taken their, their wheels off their trucks. Let's say the government comes out, they say they want to negotiate with uh, the leadership and they decide to end all vaccine mandates, comes down from Justin Trudeau, we're going to end these vaccine mandates, COVID is going in the right direction. And we've heard, you know, we've heard the Canadian people. Uh, I guess the question is then, what happens then because you still have these trucks here that can't move and then it's a huge expense to the government i.e the canadian people to remove these trucks is that fair to the um, to the canadian people to have to move these trucks that have planted themselves in ottawa 
No, I mean, I, I don't think it's fair to the Canadian people. I, do, I don't think it's fair to the, uh, you know, the Ottawa taxpayer. Um, but at the same time, you know, if, if people are in agreement with you and you're, you're giving people an easy time, then you're probably not doing the protest movement right. Yeah, um, you know, these, these people who made their way downtown to Ottawa, like I said, they had no other recourse. They've been screaming about it for two years now. You know, we heard stories of, of overdose and drug dependencies and, you know, financial hardships. These people are, are at a loss and they have nothing left. So is it fair to the taxpayer? No, but something had to give for these people. And that was the only, uh, you know, option that they had left on the table. Okay. Rob McLeod from postmodern.ca, citizen journalist, commentator right there out of Canada, giving us a lot of great insight into something that has captivated the world's attention, certainly our attention right here in the United States. Uh, please keep up the good work sharing those important, uh, just, you know, on the ground experiences, those interviews that uh, we get so little of from the establishment press, you're doing it for us uh, it, to see all across the planet. Thank you, Rob McLeod. Yeah. Thanks, guys. That was a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Rob. You know, we may we may not see eye to eye on everything politically, but you were a fantastic guest. I just have to, you know, say that you were you were really really informative, and uh, I hope that our uh, audience all over really appreciates the perspective that you gave. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys.